want to welcome all of us to this Bible study, whether you're joining us online or you are on site. It's a privilege to share this time together um, studying the Word of God. Uh, we will continue with our theme for the month, the theme, Be Encouraged, Be Encouraged. That's the theme we will continue uh, with. I would like to pray for us. Our dear Lord, we want to thank you for the privilege of this time. We thank you, Lord God of heaven, for making it possible for us to be able to come to share together. And we thank you that you have your word for us and your word is available to us and we can go into it and your holy spirit is also here to help us understand it we pray that you open our minds this time as we engage in your word as we share with one another lord please open our minds that we understand your word and open our hearts to receive and please lord help us to surrender and live in line with your word. Thank you, dear Lord, for hearing us. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Right, so the, the theme, like I said, for the month is be encouraged. And today, we'll be talking about a topic that I struggled Initially, to know um, whether that to choose it, I struggled with a number of other topics. Sometimes it happens to me like that. Uh, but I would like to read the passage which has been read several times. There are two major passages that I want us to dwell on today. But I will read the very first one at this moment, and that is First Second Corinthians chapter one. I'll start reading from verse 1 all through to 11. I will read from the New International Version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comforts abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed 
brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Yes, um, so we have been listening to this theme, Be Encouraged, since the beginning of this month. And um, there has been an overview. I think the first day of this month was a Wednesday. And our senior pastor uh, did an overview of this in, in the study that day. And after that, he shared uh, on the following Sunday on encouraging yourself in the Lord. Then um, our pastor Bernice Aliu shared on encouraging yourself. Okay, first, encouraging yourself, our senior pastor shared. And then Pastor Bernice shared encouraging yourself in the Lord. And Reverend Aliu shared on combating discouragements just last uh, Sunday. Uh, by the grace of God, I've been learning lessons from all this. And um, I trust God that all of us who have been able to listen have learned some things. Now, settling on the topic for this particular study, like I said earlier, <laughs> wasn't easy for me. Somehow, you know, it became clear to me um, what I was going to share about. But what was I going to title it? I said, you know, at one point I said, encouraging others. And then I said, be encouraged to encourage. And then I said, encouraging one another. And then I came to a family of encouragement. Or encouragers. A family of encouragers. Yes, our church family, Foursquare Gospel Church, VGC, is a microcosm or a small version of the family of God. And as his family, God's purpose for us is to be a community that encourages one another to live as God's people in this world, loving God and loving people, despite the pain of living in this sinful world. I'll say it again. Say, as his family, God's purpose for us as a church family is to be a community that encourages one another to live as God's people in this world, loving God and loving people despite the pain of living in this world, as painful as that could be. God wants every member to be encouraged and become an encourager. 
thus making the church a family of encouragers. Now, they, they, they have, I, I am you know, dividing the study just to help us follow. I say, you know, first, I say this family of encouragers, based on the text, the two texts we've chosen, is a solid family. And I said, it is a suffering family. I said, it's a safe family and it's a supportive family. So let's dive in then. First, is a solid family. It is a solid family. Don't know whether anyone can read for us the first two verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. First two verses of Second Corinthians chapter one. Thank you very much, Sister Bucci, uh, for that. Um, there's, um, there's, yeah, if you can have it so that, I mean, subsequent ones you can share. Sorry. Now, so the, 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 the family that we're talking about, the church family is God's family and it's a very solid family. The family is solid, the family is strong, the family is secure. Why? Because as we see in that passage, God, God, the creator of the heaven and earth, is the father of this family. And as we see, it's also related, this family, Jesus this is the savior and lord of the family. The family members, as we learn from scriptures, are related through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are adopted into the family of God, and Jesus is the firstborn of that family. Um, there are several uh, passages of scripture that we can you know, uh, refer to. And we'll take our time to read, but we'll run through quickly because our focus will be more on the area of a supportive family. We are born again and baptized into God's family through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He produces the nature of Christ in us and empowers us to serve. Now, so this family uh, caused through the barriers that divide the world because the central person is Jesus Christ. So the barriers of race, of ethnicity, of gender, of rituals, of education, of social class, and of wealth is, are no barriers in this family because God is the Father, and Jesus should be all in all in this family. Maybe if we can read Colossians 3, verse 11 for us. Colossians 3, verse 11. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. 
where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Cynthia, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Yes, that's the family. The family that Christ is all in all. The family that all the things that divide the world cannot divide. All the things that are barriers in the world cannot put asunder because Christ is all in all. And the precious blood of Jesus is stronger than anything that can divide. So this family is strong, secure, and solid because this family is the united product of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all involved in bringing about this family. It is an unshakable family. Again, I have a, a number of passages there which we can make time to read. I wonder if this in itself encourages us that we are members of a family that is strong, that is secure, that is stable, that is, is, is solid, that nothing, nothing in the whole wide world can shake. That's the kind of family that we have. It's an unshakable family. And we belong to this family if we are followers of Jesus. The next, very next thing is that this family is a suffering family. The whole of that passage, beginning from verse 4, that is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, from verse 4 to 11, Apostle Paul was really talking about sufferings. Sufferings. Isn't it a paradox that a solid family is also a suffering family? But that is the hard truth of the scriptures. It is puzzling and yet that is what it is. That it is a suffering family. Sometimes we wish it were different and we act as if it were different but that is the reality. If we look at that passage, 2 Corinthians 1 from 4 or 3, you see all of this. The great apostle uses the following words and phrases to describe one of the many sovereigns he and his companions experienced in the mission field. What are the words? Say, troubles. They were in the mission field. They didn't go on business trip. Right? Troubles, sufferings, distress, hardships. And then we have phrases like deadly peril. We suffer. We suffered. We are under great pressure. We despaired. We felt the sentence of death. This is in this very short passage. Apostle Paul thought there was no chance of surviving death. But of course, God delivered him when he had lost hope so that he could only he could rely on God alone. That's what he was saying there. 
So it's a family that suffers. And if you read the Acts of the Apostles, you don't need anybody to tell you that Paul and his companions, as they went from place to place, they were persecuted, they suffered, they were beaten, imprisoned, all sorts. But this family of God remained a strong family despite the fact that the family is a suffering family. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself told us, says, I have told you these things. That is John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Good. In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's part of the paradise. Our Lord has overcome the world. And we, his servants and children and brothers and sisters are in the world. And yet we suffer. He doesn't go into too much explanation about how that is or why that is. But of course we know that the reality is that the world is falling. That sins enter the world. And you know our forefathers handed over the world more or less that God gave them to Satan. And of course Satan, the prince of this world and his demons are actively working using the system of this fallen world to cause and multiply pain and sufferings. That's what he does. And followers of Jesus are not exempt from the sufferings that the world, uh, you know, um, that, that Satan brings into the world. Just that, you know, because our God is a great God, he turns it upside down for our good. That itself is a paradox. As broken people in this sinful world, we also hurt ourselves and we hurt one another. We make foolish choices, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, and we do things and say things, sometimes knowingly and unknowingly, that hurt uh, other people or even hurt ourselves because we are broken people we live in a fallen world I know I mean I remember when I was preparing this I remember my story many years ago I mean um, this thing happened when I was still a small boy maybe when I was about the age of um, the age of six or so, the oracle, my father consulted an oracle, and it was like I was going to die if I lived in our village with them. So he just took me at that age and took me to stay with his own brother somewhere in another village, uh, some, um, like maybe, I mean, 
20 or so kilometers from our village. And I was there, you know, and um, I went through a lot of things, you know, uh, because the man himself was not always available. He was doing, you know, was like, um, I don't know, uh, these people who patch things, repairers of all sorts of things. And so he used to go from village to village and all that. Sometimes he went with his wife and so on. You know, and at this time, you know, a, a few things happened to me. That's when I got my marks. You know, I didn't have traditional marks until then. Um, during the war, somebody said, oh, I was an Igbo boy because I didn't have marks in the village. And then, and then um, they said, oh, let them give me marks. You know, and I got the marks. And they got, called somebody who made the marks and all that. And I had an injury in my eye and so on. You know, I was going through a lot. And then one day, a stepbrother of mine came to that village with a bicycle. Somebody else had visited from our village previously, and I wish I could run with her back home. So my brother came, and then I, I, made, I told myself, because my uncle was not around, and his wife was not around. So I told myself, well... I'll just run after him. Whatever he did, I will tell him, he will have to take me back home today. So, unknown to me, he had left home without telling my father and came, had heard stories from the one that came to visit that, ah, this boy was suffering. And he came actually to steal me from there. I didn't know. So, I was planning and he came. So, when everybody had greeted, he had greeted, and everything settled down around the place. He said, look, run to so-so place and go and wait for me there. I'll come and meet you there and we'll go home. So that's how I ran from the place. But the big the thing was, so I arrived in the village. Of course, the story was read in the village that, you know, this boy was suffering, was, being, was not being treated well, and so on and uh, was dirty and then so my senior sister who is just like maybe three years older than me was yeah three years about three years older than me i came home she said she looked at me take, take him back we have bought him now we are bringing him bringing him here take him back take him back of course he was expressing his own her own, her own frustration and pain but you know, that really hit me. And for a while, I wondered, okay, so I had become so bad that even my own sister. No, now I understood, I came to understand later that she was, you know, just expressing her frustration. But then, it looked like, oh, at that time, to me, my sister thought I was too bad to come and live among them. I should go back to that place. And, you know, I had to live with this pain for a long time. Well, a long time, yeah, maybe just about two years because something else happened that changed that. 
Then, you know, no mirrors in the village. Wherever I had opportunity to see mirror, I go and look at myself. Just to see how really bad I had become that my sister would not want me around again. Then one day, I came, look, I went looking for an uncle. And I was standing there at the door, and a lady was passing by and said, Hey, who is this handsome boy? Where are you from? I looked at her and smiled, and she smiled and came and touched my head. Ha, ah, who am I looking for? I thought, so oh, no, he's not around, he traveled. I was in the primary school. So, and somehow God registered that in my head. And I kept telling, somehow I kept, even as I speak now, I can almost remember the tone of the lady. Because I kept telling myself this thing, or it kept, it kept coming to my mind and was erasing what my sister said. And of course, with what my sister was doing subsequently, and as I was growing, I was also realizing that she was in pain. Why did you do this to my brother? So, what I mean to say is that indeed sometimes we really hurt one another without even knowing that we are hurting one another because we live in a sinful world. And as a church family, family of believers, we also hurt one another in a lot of ways. The church in Corinth, if I give you the context, I'm sure we are students of the Bible, so we know. Paul was the one who founded that church. And he stayed there for a long time, almost like two years, building up the church and all of that. And then he went on. On he on you know to another mission field as you know he was going about planting churches, and later some people entered, and all sorts of things began to happen. And people say, ah, it was he didn't appear like an impressive guy, you know. He some said, look, he didn't even know how to speak well. It's when he writes anyway, he writes better. But when it comes to speaking, not really a big deal. He's not like one of the good you know, speakers. It's not like Apollos. I, I, think I, I think I prefer Apollos to hell with Paul. You know? And then he wrote a letter and he said, what credentials do you have? Show us your credentials. What's, what's, what qualifies you to be an apostle? You know, Peter followed Jesus. Apollos is a great orator. You, who are you? They belittled him and despised him. And if you read the he wrote maybe about four letters. If you look at the, what his writing, obviously you will know that the two letters we have are not the only letters he wrote to them. Okay? So he wrote to these people. They cost him a lot of pain. And I also have met people who are members of, a, of church families, including our own, who have been hurt and who have felt rejected by the critical and judgmental attitude, by our behaviors, by our actions, by our words, by the things we do, the things we say. 
I don't know. It's easier to know that somebody else has hurt me than it is to know how I hurt other people. Have you ever been hurt by anyone in this church, for instance? How does it feel? And you, have you thought if you are ever involved in discouraging people in this church by your attitude, by your actions, by your words? It's something that we need to think about because that is not what God wants us to be doing. That's just the exact opposite. And we can, you know, package that. We do it and we think we are doing something holy. It's not correct. And it is also very difficult to live in this world where we have the promises of how things ought to be. And the reality is different from the promises. The reality that we have. So on one hand, we are looking at the promises. Wonderful promises of God. And on the other hand, we are seeing the reality of our life today. That does not match with the reality. That is the kind of situation that followers of Jesus always have to go through. And it's a tough thing. Having a certain hope of a future where suffering and pain will be no more does not eliminate the pain we experience right now. The fact that a woman in labor knows that her baby will soon come out does not eliminate the labor pain, does it? He doesn't. And that's where we are. The truth is that we are never going to get used to living in pain. Why? Because we are never designed for pain. It was sin and Satan that brought it into this world. Because of this, and because of the promises, because of the struggles, sometimes we are tempted to lie to ourselves. We are tempted to engage in wishful thinking. Me, I know, will suffer. Right? That's one of the popular, it's no longer as popular as it used to be. Me, I know, go suffer. <laughs> That's not Christian faith. We suffer. It will be an illusion to think we are not going to suffer. But the promises of what is ahead is what made people like the apostle, the great apostle Paul, writing this letter to go through pain and struggles and difficulties up to the point of thinking that, okay, 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 this one we know we are gone. And yet, when they got out of it, they kept going. He said, because we have this hope, we continue. Do the promises of what will be encourage us to keep going? This family is a, is a safe 
should be a safe family. Okay, Second Corinthians 1.8, he said, look, I don't want you to be uninformed. And in Second Corinthians 7, verse 4 to 6, Paul says, look, I'm speaking to you people frankly, with frankness. He wanted them to know. God wants his family to be a safe place where we connect with one another and accept one another as we are so that we become channels of God's help, of God's healing, of God's hope to one another as we journey towards God. So it is not supposed to be a place where we put up a face trying to be who we are not, pretending that all is well. No, that's not God's intention. We all know we all suffer personal injuries. We all suffer wounds. We all suffer even internal injuries. Some of them we cannot even understand ourselves. We have disabilities caused by the hard realities of this broken world. Injuries caused by dysfunctional relationships. We have hidden woods, wounds. Yes, we need a place to hit bottom. A place that we can open up, we can cry, we can vent, we can confess. And the church family is intended to be such a place. Of course, unfortunately, we don't feel safe. Not safe enough to tell our true stories. So we package them. We give testimonies of half-truths. We have been hurt by others and we don't want to risk it again. We prefer to nurse our pain in our cocoon even while suffering from internal bleeding. We work hard to appear good to be accepted. We are not sure if we will be accepted and loved if people get to know how we really are and feel. So we wear our masks, go around with masks to avoid exposure. But the family of God is supposed to be a safe family for us, a place to connect, a place to share, a place to be able to talk to the other person. Apostle Paul is a good example of someone who was secure enough in God to tell it as it is. He did not attempt to impress them. As a matter of fact, you know, as they were telling him, you know, this guy, you know, you are not impressive, you know. You don't speak well. You don't appear wise. He was a very intelligent person. Satan was just using a church he founded to trouble him. Instead of Paul trying to show them, <laughs> you know, do you know under whom I trained? Do you know the, the, what I have got? Do you know who I am? No. Paul was telling them about his weaknesses. And that what was important. That when he came to them, he came trembling with fear. So, 
If you want more, I have got more to give you. I'm not afraid. Why? Because my sufficiency is in God. I've seen many things, though. But I, I have delivered, though. I've prayed. People have gotten healed, though. Then I prayed for myself. Prayed for myself. Prayed for myself. God refused to heal me. I said, okay, your weakness. That's where I'll display my strength. Your grace is sufficient for me. That's what Paul thought. And that's what he shared with the people. So despite being insulted and despised by some of the believers in the church in Corinth, he shared his sufferings and personal weaknesses honestly with them. He said, I do not want you to be uninformed. We despaired of life. I have spoken to you in great, with great frankness. We had no rest. Fears within. Great apostle. How I pray that we will learn to be a bit more honest with ourselves of the struggles that we have. This journey will be better for all of us. Does Paul's life encourage us to move towards one another, towards another brother and sister in church and be safe for them? Does it encourage us to seek someone and share freely how we feel and our struggles as we go on this journey? You know, as I was preparing this, I saw a song by Ken Medema. Ken Medema is a blind musician. Okay? And he sang many songs. One of them, very interesting, is a Christian, a Christian singer, and blind. He said, if this is not a place, that's the name of the song, if this is not a place, and I'll read it for us. If this is not a place where tears are understood, where can I go to cry? If this is not a place where my spirit can take wing, can take wing, where can I go to fly? I don't need another place for trying to impress you with just how good and virtuous I am. I don't need another place for always being on top of things. Everybody knows that's the charm. I don't need another place for always wearing smiles, even when it is not the way I feel. I don't need another place to mouth the same old platitudes, because you and I both know that it is not real. If this is not a place where my questions can be asked, where can I go to seek? If this is not a place where my heart cries, can be heard. Where can I go to speak? I don't need another place for trying to impress you with just how good and virtuous I am. I don't need another place for always being on top of things. Everybody knows that's a sham. I don't need another place for always wearing smiles even when it's not the way I feel. I don't need another place to mouth the same old platitudes. Because you and I know 
as the sham. If this is not where my spirit can take wing, where can I go to fly? Where can we go to fly? Where can we go to cry? If it cannot happen in the church, because the church does not feel safe, may the Lord help us to make our church family feel safe. Apostle Paul tells us what the members of a church family can do to make it feel safe. If you read, we don't have time, so we won't go to read everything there. But I think it's something to study. Colossians 3, 5 to 14. And I'll just, um, I'll just, I'll just explain the points for us. Um, it's, it's, um, so Paul says we should put some things to death. <laughs> That's a very violent, <laughs> violent exhortation. Put them to death. What are they? Say sexual immorality. If you open there, you can mention what they are, sister. Which uh, is you have the mic. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Great. Thank you very much. Put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, evil desires, and greed. These are things that destroy any Christian community. It doesn't, you no joke with them. Put it to death in your members. Put it to death in your life. And the Holy Spirit will help us because God wants it to be dead. Then he says, read ourselves, read ourselves of something. I don't know whether you can find that verse, specific verse, what we are to read ourselves of. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Okay. These are things, anger, rage, malice. Slander, filthy language, and you go on lying inclusive. They are things that destroy relationships. They are relationship breakers. Read yourselves of them. And he says we should now change our wardrobe. Wear a new dress. Clothe yourselves with something. What is that, sister? It says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, of, who, of him who created him, where there is neither Greek or Jew circumcised. Then, therefore, verse 12, as, sorry, well, as, yeah. as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against, us, against another, even as Christ forgave you, 
so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also... That's, that's fine. Thank you so much. So, we have new clothing. The new clothing, the new clothes you are supposed to wear are clothes of compassion. Again, it's about relationship. Some sets of clothes that we should rid ourselves of, they break relationships. Why some other sets that we are supposed to put on build relationship. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, long-suffering, forgiveness, peace, and above all, love, which covers everything. And then we should acknowledge that Jesus community transcends race, ethnicity, gender, rituals, education, social class, economic status. That's not what they call them there. They say there's no Greek or Jew. And if you know living at that time, to say there is no Greek or Jew, it's like, are you, are you okay? That's the, way, that's the way the world was divided. The Gentiles and they are Jews. They can come together. But Paul says, in the Jesus community, we are all the same. Is that the way you think? Is that the way you think of the church family? You know, in this country, the Igbos and the Yorubas, the Hausas and the this, and so on. And Jesus is telling us that my community, those things exist. They are Yorubas. Yes, they are Igbo. They are Igalas. They are Houses and Fulanis and all that. But the members of my community belong to one tribe. And that transcends every other tribe, every other tongue every other ethnic group. So how do we conduct ourselves? Those are the things that we should do or not do to make the place a safe place. Now, and the family must be a supportive family. A supportive family. Again, if you read 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 11, it says a lot. First, the triune God supports and comforts members of his family, the church. God, the Father, is the Father of compassion and the God of all comforts. That's what that passage says. And if you read through, God is described as the God of mercy, whose steadfast love never ceases, whose mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So, he's the one who comforts his, his family. He supports his family. God the Son suffered and was tempted at, like us. So he's able to help those of us who are tempted. Second Corinthians 1, 5. 
we partake in his sufferings. And Jesus had a lot of sufferings. I don't know how it felt like him growing up. I was a young boy when my parents divorced. divorced and in my village, that wasn't common. So it was some, some, something. In Jesus' case, his parents were not even married before the mother got pregnant. When he was born, I'm sure as he was growing up, they were telling him, hmm, Herod wanted to kill you. Did everything to kill you. At some point, they had to take him. As a, I don't think it was Reverend Odega that said uh, they had to jackpot with him to Egypt. They had to run away. And when he started his ministry, even his own brothers and sisters, they didn't believe in him. They didn't trust, they didn't like, what do you call yourself? Whom do you think you are? And then he had issues. And he suffered injustice, trial, there was no trial. Pilate would wash his hands and would still give, it, give him to them. And he was murdered. The most cruel and the one reserved for the worst of criminals at that time. So he suffered. And he understands what suffering is about. church family is part of his body. God the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And to comfort means to not just to console, but to encourage. Not just to relieve our pain, but to strengthen us to face life. That's what it is. To be encouraged. And God is involved in that. And God's purpose as we see in comforting us is to give us testimonies and experiences so that we are able to comfort our brothers and sisters, others in the family of God. God comforts us so that his comfort will flow through us to others. He desires our maturity for greater service. I remember some years ago, my wife lost his job, her job. Oh, well, her, or her job lost her. I don't know who lost the other. Anyway, so, and it was very difficult for her because of the circumstances. And it took her sister, Pastor Bernice, to come one day and to share her own struggles. How, when, she lost her job and they connected because she had experienced that she knew what her sister was going through and she could share about it again she had some issues that she was concerned about the same sister Bernice on another occasion came round and as they gisted my wife mentioned it and then you know she shared her own how she had passed through that and how God delivered her and hope was restored 
uh, recently, our pastor mentor and I, our pastor mentor is Reverend Uta. He is not, his name is not pastor mentor. He's Reverend Ike Uta. You know, we are going somewhere. And we are to sort of trying to comfort someone who lost a child. So I started speaking first. And it's like, ah, the Lord is your strength to, you know, you don't know what to say. And then, you know, came to Pastor Mentor. Um, I just, when I didn't know what to say, I just said, hey, Pastor Mentor is here. He, he wants to greet. So, and he started. Of course, the connection was very clear. He had lost a child about the same age. When he started speaking, even, I, don't, I didn't need anybody to tell me that that experience would mean much more to this man in pain than what I was saying. The platitudes, they don't work. So that's what God does. That's what he does for us. And we are commanded to encourage one another. And that we should continue to do it. If you can read Hebrews 2.13. You know, sometimes the struggles that we go through can really be tough for us. Hebrews 2.13. And they lead us into all sorts of things. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 13 yeah. and it says I will declare your name no, no sorry and again I will put my trust in him and again here am I and the children whom God has given me no I think that's wrong so read uh, Hebrews 3.13 okay Hebrews 3.13 and it says, today, but I exalt one another, but exalt one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Yes. So my own version says, encourage one another, almost daily, so that none of you will be deceived, will be caught. Because of the deceitfulness of sin. And as he goes on, he tells us in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All and all and on, there are several passages there. Maybe the last one I want read is First Thessalonians for five eleven. First Thessalonians five eleven. First Thessalonians five eleven. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Great, comfort one another and. Encourage one another, as my own would say. Edify one another, just as you're already doing. 
Just keep doing. That's what we are doing. I don't know what will be written about you, about us in this church, if we are to be observed. Are we encouraging one another daily? I don't know what we are going to do differently. So let's consider then, as you say, how to do this. We encourage one another through our attitude, through our attention, through our words, through our touch, and through prayer. Our attitude determines how much of an encourager we will be. If you have the right attitude, you'll be willing to learn how to get rid of behaviors, like you know those dimensions, and words that break church unity and relationships. And how to behave and speak in ways that build people and relationships. Attention. When we give the right attention to people, we are telling them that they, are, they matter and that they are important and that you care. Just giving attention, not even saying a thing. Just giving attention to people. We can be doing programs, doing lots of activities without giving attention to one another. And we need to. Words. Your words can either beat up people or build up people. What words are you using? What you say or we say to one another, what we say about one another to other people will either build up people and build relational bridges or destroy them. So, what are your own words doing? And touch. Touch. Appropriate touch. Right touch. Just handshake. A good handshake. A good holding of hand. An appropriate touch can bring healing to people. Touch can meet material needs, helping hands. It can meet physical needs. It can also meet emotional needs. It can heal internal injuries. Just hugs and embrace appropriately. And Paul says, yes, God delivers in answer to your prayers. Intercessory prayer remains a key that is available to all encouragers. Are you engaged in that? Are you praying for others? Are you seeking others to pray for you? Now, a fruitful family engagement, sometimes where there are issues, to engage fruitfully and talk about the issues can produce great outcome, even when there are crises. Now that we see in the apostles Paul's um, engagement with the church in Corinth. Now if we look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 from verse 2 to 16, it's a long passage. I'll pick some of the words and phrases used there. Now what you notice is that repentance, healing, joy, 
and encouragement, praise to God, and all of that characterized that engagement when it was through. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 4, he said, I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. Now sometimes it's better to just, people think it's better to just close. I, I, I leave the church now. The, the, the way they are behaving. Are they the only church around? Of course. They're not. But is that how you are going to live? Is that how you live your physical family? Your biological family? You just decide you are no, are no longer family. And go. Not correct. You can engage sometimes. Prayerfully engage. Prayerfully talk. Paul engaged. Paul shared. Paul told them. Paul explained. And eventually, as God helped them, they repented. And Paul said, I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bonds. Second Corinthians 7 4. Another phrase I saw, my joy was greater than ever. Second Corinthians 7 verse 7. Another phrase, your sorrow led you to repentance. Yes, his letter caused them sorrow. He sent um, Titus to go and meet them and talk with them. But he said, ah, I thought about that later. But I said, let me write it anyway. And I'm happy, not because you became sorrowful, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9. And in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 13, I'll just stop here. You can just keep on and keep on and keep on going. Say, by all this, we are encouraged. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were delighted to see how happy Titus was. That Titus went to visit them and came back because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. Second Corinthians 7 verse 13. So a prayerful, fruitful engagement leads to joy in the family of God. And we should allow it. We should let people express that we express in a way that the motive is to build and not to break. Does this encourage you to be effectively engaged in building, in contributing, in encouraging one another? Are you encouraged to encourage? God wants you to be encouraged, not just to be strong and keep going on your own, alone. No, this journey is not a lone journey. We are not supposed to be lone rangers. We are supposed to be a family, a family that encourages one another. 
He wants you to be encouraged to encourage others in this journey of faith. What steps would you take to be encouraged? What steps will you take to encourage yourself in the Lord? What steps will you take to combat discouragements in your lives and in the life of the people of God among whom you fellowship? What steps will you take to encourage others in your cycles, in your family, in this church family? One, something I want us to consider, something you should, a question you should ask yourself, a question you should take time to think through. Thank you. And I would like to stop here. I don't know whether you have questions, things you would like to, anybody has any question or contribution or comments. Uh, I don't know whether anybody here is online that can uh, get if there's anything online. I don't know, but if there are people in here that have, if you have questions or comments or observations, please feel free at this point just before we close. Pastor Mentor, you want? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I was going to say, um, nobody prays to have trouble or have a like we say. But one thing that can really encourage us when we go through challenges um, is to determine not to waste our pain. And it is this thought that at least I'm being equipped somehow, someday, be able to share my experience and encourage somebody. And the thought that each time you have an opportunity to share your experiences and somebody else is encouraged, that way you're putting your pain to use to the glory of God. Hallelujah. That really helps a lot. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much, sir. Thank you, thank you. It can't be better said. Thank you very much. Any other comments or questions or observation or protest? All right, so I would like to pray for us then. Oh, Sister Buchi, you are consulting. Anyone? All right, so thank you very much. We would like to pray. I would like to pray for us. As you know, um, if you have not become a follower of Jesus, if you have not surrendered your life and submitted your will to the will of Jesus, to the way of Jesus, you are really not in this family we are talking about. It's a good time. You are there, and this is your situation. You can call on him now. You can surrender to Jesus. And tell Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I'm giving you my life. I'm surrendering to you. I want to follow you. I want to be a member of your family, a member of your body. You can talk to Jesus now. And if you have been, again, is an opportunity to pray and say, look, I want to be an encourager. 
I want to learn from others' experiences and I don't want to waste my own. I don't want to waste my pain. I want to use it to encourage others. I want to be part of this family of encouragers. Talk to God. Thank you, dear Lord, for speaking to us this evening as we reflect over this. I mean, many more that your Holy Spirit will bring to our attention. We pray that, that none of the words spoken today be used in judgment against us. Rather, every word spoken today and everything that you are going to bring to our remembrance through your Holy Spirit will be used to make us what you want us to be in your family. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters who are um, right now in the Ajebo camp for the National Convention. We thank you for our leaders from the national to this local assembly. We thank you for your hand upon their lives any that are attending this program. Thank you for the, um, the ministers that you have chosen to speak at the convention. Lord, we pray that it will not just be another annual program. It's one and will be one that you will speak and speak to your people and change lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this night. Thank you. In Jesus' name we have prayed.